Welcome to another episode of Building Success, a real estate podcast. My name is Nick, and I will once again be your guide as we talk to some of the best and brightest in the worlds of real estate tech, operations, and financials from across the globe. This podcast would not be possible without listeners such as yourselves. So if you like what you hear and you want to hear more of it, please consider liking and subscribing wherever you hear this podcast, whether that be YouTube, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, wherever you hear us, we would love to hear from you. So please think about liking, subscribing, and leaving us a comment. All of that helps us know how we're doing and help get this podcast in front of more listeners. Today, I spoke with Tim Bratz from Legacy Wealth Holdings, uh, previously from Cleveland Turnkey Real Estate. He is the CEO and much like myself, a Northeast Ohio native. So we did this interview in person and had a great discussion about some of the things that he's been doing in the Cleveland area, some of the revitalization of uh, multifamily, some of office, some of the, the big things happening with some old historical buildings in the area, um, ways to help build the community and intersect some new technology, innovation, entrepreneurship uh, with more antiquated real estate and um, old buildings that are being revitalized to take in some of some of this new industry that's happening right here in Northeast Ohio. So great conversation. Hope you enjoy it. And we also hope to hear from you at any of those podcast channels that I mentioned earlier or at our website at www.buildingsuccess.io. So without further ado, here is Tim Bratz. Uh, okay, so I'm here with Tim Bratz uh, on site at Bratz Manor in Cleveland, um, much like myself, located here in Northeast Ohio. How are you doing, Tim? Doing awesome. Nick, appreciate you having me, man. Excited to be on the Building Success Podcast. I am very excited as well, um, and excited to get into some of the, the properties that you and Legacy Wealth Holdings has been um, working with and working on over the last couple of years. And I specifically want to get into the location we're at now, but mm-hmm. let's let's save that for a little later. I kind of want to start off with just a little bit about you, Tim. If you can just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, where you come from. Um, obviously, a CLE guy. Yeah. Uh, and what brought you to you know being CEO of Legacy Wealth Holdings? Yeah, man. Well, again, I appreciate you having me here. Appreciate all the value you guys bring on this show. Um, I, I, I'm from Cleveland, from the suburbs of Cleveland. Grew up in an area called Parma, Ohio. Uh, went to school and college right here in Ohio, and was going through college. When the market was going gangbusters, so yeah. 03 to 07, everybody's if you could if you had a pulse, you were making money in real estate, right? Yeah. Very similar to the market today. Yeah. And so, uh, for me, uh, that was I was a money motivated kid. Uh, my brother lived out in New York City. I moved out to New York City and became a commercial real estate agent. So I broker either office space or retail space for businesses and for landlords. Yeah. And um, uh, it took me about six months to close my first deal. Close a deal on 400 square feet in Manhattan. And the lease was $10,000 a month for 400 square feet. And so I did the math on what that landlord was going to make over the next 12 years. And it was it was almost $2 million for doing something at one point in time. And um, really got to understand residual income and the idea of residual income and doing something once and getting paid on it over and over and over again. Yeah. And at the same time, passive income, uh, you know, building a business where other people were operating it. And, um, and then you could have a little bit more lifestyle that way. And decided I was on the wrong side of the coin. Instead of brokering, I needed to be owning real estate. Uh, the only problem was 
I was 22 years old and I didn't have any money, right? Yeah. So yeah. I, uh, uh, you know, went down this this rabbit hole of personal development and learning everything, going to the seminars and all that kind of stuff. Spent all my money on that and um, decided that I wasn't going to learn how to swim by reading about it in a book. I actually had to jump in the water and and figure it out, right? So I, I found that I moved down to Charleston, South Carolina, lived down there. Um, and, and learn a little bit about the market. This is like 08, 09 now. The market just shifted. Everything's falling apart. Everybody's saying run from real estate, but I'm seeing these deals out in Charleston, South Carolina. Like the cheapest house on the MLS was $25,000. So yeah. I was like, I think I could probably buy this thing and either flip it or rent it, figure it all out. So I contacted my credit card company. I asked for an increase on my credit limit. They, they increased my limit by uh, to $15,000. And then I made an offer on that house and I got it for 14 grand. And I physically did the work to it. You know, I'm, I'm painting, I'm doing the flooring, I'm changing out fixtures, I'm doing the landscaping, uh, fixed it all up, really just putting lipstick on a pig. It was an ugly, dumpy property. Uh, and then I just tried to figure out how do you sell these things. I, I, and this was during the recession, this not is, knowing this is, when the prices are going to yeah, turn April back April of up. 2009. Okay. April, May, June of 2009. And so... Uh, I, I, but 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 here's the thing. I knew that maybe if even if I couldn't sell it, if I could sell it, awesome, we could make, make a big yeah. chunk of change. Worst case scenario, I was in all into this thing for maybe like eighteen or nineteen thousand dollars, and it was a duplex. I could rent out each side for at least five hundred bucks. Yeah, and my total return on investment on this thing was going to be twenty five thirty percent a year. So worst case scenario, I could at least rent it out and cover my expenses, cover my debt service, and put a couple bucks in my pocket. So I think it's important in investing to have multiple exit strategies. When I got involved in real estate back then, and you know the, the, the sky was falling on some investors, and the sky fell on the investors who bought for speculative uh, appreciation. They yeah. bought at a certain level, thought tomorrow would be at a higher level, and when it didn't go higher and they couldn't resell it and they only had one exit strategy, they all got taken out, right? Their legs got wiped out. They went bankrupt. They lost everything versus the investors who bought and had multiple exit strategies or they bought specifically for cash flow. If you're buying for cash flow, you can cover your expenses. You can cover your debt service. You can cover or put some cash in your pocket. So even if values go to zero, there's still actually value to that building, right? Yeah. It's still yielding a return or a yield on your a dividend almost on your investment. So for me, that's why I built the business that I've built today. Um, I've done a little bit of everything, right? I, I was flipping houses. I got heavy into like wholesaling houses. Um, I built up a turnkey business. Yeah. My old company was Cleveland Turnkey Real Estate. And we were flipping 80 to 100 houses a year. Started a property management company to then uh, service those properties on an ongoing basis. Um, and then I started buying apartment buildings as well. And about two years ago, I took a look at where was I making my money versus where was I spending my time. And 90% of my time was, I'm sorry, 10% of my time was spent on apartments, but it was 90% of my net worth came from apartments. Yeah. So I decided to just kind of burn the ships on the single family side, stop flipping houses, dedicated all of our time to apartments. And over the past about three, three and a half years now, we built a pretty significant portfolio. Um, we have over 2,500 units as of sitting here with you today, yeah. Nick, and another almost 900 under contract. So we'll be around 3,400 units in the next 30 days. And these are what I want to talk about some of these apartments. Um, specifically, again, Northeast Ohio being close to my heart, yours mm -hmm. as well. Um, 
one of the big reasons I want to talk to you today is some of the revitalization you've been doing to some of these apartments and to some of these communities mm-hmm. around Northeast Ohio. Uh, what are what are just a couple of the the big name marquee kind of projects that you've been proud of? Yeah, so I'm bigger than some of the small investors, but I'm not quite like uh, one of these massive developers, right? Yeah. So uh, I, I own several hundred units in in Ohio, Northeast Ohio specifically, and then I also own a whole bunch of property. Majority of my portfolio is in the Southeast, like South Carolina, Georgia. Mm-hmm. I have some stuff in Texas and Oklahoma, um, but majority of my stuff's pretty much in South Carolina and Georgia. The stuff that I do up here in Cleveland is a lot of revitalization, right? Yeah. Um, so what we look for is we look for distressed properties, either physically distressed, typically from a management perspective distressed, um, and usually those two go hand in hand, right? Usually yeah. because management's bad, the property falls apart. Um, and so we're looking for those kinds of properties where we can come in, fix it all up, uh, increase the value, increase the income, decrease the expenses, and by putting that sweat equity in, we're able to force appreciation. Um, so my entire business model is buying a distressed apartment building and fixing it up and then refinancing once it's stable to then cash out my investors and then we hold on to that property long term. Um, I, you know, For anybody who's in Northeast Ohio, if they're familiar, um, like where we're sitting right now, I'm in Lakewood, right? That's where my office building is. This property is a historic building. It was built in 1910 um, and it was a mansion, right? Somebody actually lived here. So it was built by the guy who had the patent uh, that mass produced for, on the machine that mass produced cardboard boxes. So corrugated <laughs> okay. paper yeah. is what this guy made, and he, you know, this is a one of the captains of industry back in the turn of the last century, um, and had ends with all the other titans of industry back then too, like Rockefeller's from Cleveland, right? Sure. Carnegie yeah. had a place in Cleveland, and all these different. Mathis had a big shipping industry out of Cleveland, and so he was in with all these other guys. And got the railroads to stop shipping things in wooden crates and start shipping things in cardboard boxes. So this guy made a ton of money. Um, his name was uh, 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 J.H. Hahn, I think. Is his name. Okay. Yeah. And uh, made a ton of money, built this property that we're in right now as his primary residence. And um, lived there for, I don't know, 35, 40 years when the great recession occurred he had to then turn around and, and sell it he had to liquidate all of his possessions and he got hit pretty hard by that sold it to an undertaker who then turned this home into a funeral home uh, that guy operated for another 30 years and then sold it to his apprentice uh, who then continued to operate as a funeral home for almost another 35 40 years yeah and so I'm only the fourth owner in 110 years pretty much uh, of this property but when I got it it was falling apart you know, it hadn't been taken care of. There was eight different colors of paint on the inside and on the outside. Uh, but it's a beautiful, beautiful home. Yeah. It's got all this woodwork and a lot of historical feel to it. Uh, the spindles, gorgeous. The pillars, gorgeous. All the trim and the detail, uh, gorgeous. All this lead, leaded glass windows and stained glass windows. Um, beautiful, beautiful property. But it was all kind of like falling apart. So there was a massive leak in the roof, and it's got a. This is the original roof from 1910. It's a like a Spanish tiled roof. Okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, but all the value valleys and stuff were all rotted out. So when uh, I actually bought it from the estate of of the guy who who was running the funeral home, um, and a lot of people were interested in it. There were a lot. I mean, this is a great location in yeah. Lakewood, like a really. Um, 
upward trending, like cool area, very walkable type of area of Cleveland, but still kind of a suburb. So great school district and all that. Um, but it's flanked by two apartment buildings now, right? There's not much of a yard. So a family's not going to move in here. Yeah. A restaurant wasn't going to move in here because, you know, just too many different levels and rooms and that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah. So uh, I was looking for an office space. This is almost 8,000 square feet, a little over 7,500 square feet in here. And for me, I don't need that much space. You know, I have an investment company and the management company, and I had a management company at the time too. Um, or I'm sorry, investment company, management company, and then my my own office. And so we didn't need that much space. So I thought it'd be pretty cool to turn it into like a, like an entrepreneur co-working type space. Yeah. So we turned it into nine little offices, and we found the highest and best use. I think as an investor, you're always asking yourself, what's the highest and best use for this property? And I think we found it. And so we renovated the heck out of it. We sealed up the outside of the property, came in. All the floorings were covered with carpet. We opened them up, and it was all original hardwood floors. We refinished those. We had to sand them down, stain them, sand them down again, stain them again um, in order for them to come out and look like it is. We went to Sherwin-Williams, which is another Northeast Ohio company, right? They're headquartered out of downtown Cleveland. We found a bunch of historical colors from when the time the home was oh, built. Oh, that's really cool. And uh, we painted the inside and the outside, all historical uh, colors. And we refinished all the hardwoods. We, re- we refinished all the, all the doors. We have these like oak and mahogany doors. I'm sorry, cherry and mahogany doors. Um, all the woodwork that you saw downstairs. Yeah, yeah. And so um, just kind of tried to preserve that historical feel, make it a really cool place to come and work. We rented out, turned it into nine offices, rented out seven of them. I maintained two of them. Um, and so it's a cool way of, one, renovating and rejuvenating this area, this building yeah. for sure that was an eyesore. And at the same time, creating a cool networking space for all the other entrepreneurs in town. A lot of deal flow goes yeah. around in this space. It's a lot of other real estate investors and uh, contractors and um, different subsidiary type businesses or ancillary businesses uh, of real estate investors, <clears throat> and because of it, you know, it, there's a lot of uh, a lot of community. We hang out together. We go and grab a drink after work together. Yeah. Uh, again, we're swapping deals back and forth. So it's been really, really cool. Now the the uh, Lakewood Historical Society has reached out to us. We were just on the tour last fall. We'll be on the tour again next year. So. People love what we've been able to do, and it's been uh, cool to make an impact on the community, yeah. both from a um, you know cleaning up distressed property, and then at the same time creating an opportunity for entrepreneurs to come and uh, have a space to come in and work and, and collaborate because it can be lonely being an entrepreneur, you know, especially with uh, if you're a solopreneur and just kind of getting things going. You don't want a lot of overhead. At the same time, you need that collaborative. Yeah, space. So we've been able to do that. It's been awesome. It's been a great investment for me. I bought it at the right price. We renovated it the right way. Uh, we didn't really spare any expense on, on the renovations, but because we bought it at the right price, we were able to do that. And and from there, um, you know, based on the rents that come in, I'm able to cover all my operating yeah. expenses with the other tenants that pay rent. I'm able to, to cover all my debt service, and then I get free office space. So been a home run for me yeah. and it's been a great opportunity for other people to come in and rent and uh great for the the community as well and it's a really cool intersection of tech which is this big big piece of this podcast and 
innovation coming mm-hmm. together with with such history and this historical you know building like sitting down downstairs waiting waiting to get this thing going and seeing all the stained glass just yeah. in the living, all of that's still restored yep. and if you look you can you can see how it could have been a funeral home for so many years yeah. but when you walk in if you don't know that yeah. it's it's just a really great office space and a really great location yeah which is really cool, and um, we don't we don't touch on the entrepreneurship uh, stuff that much on this on this show, but I do want to dive in because you, you were telling me before we got started about some of the other projects you were doing um, on that entrepreneur space, and specifically yeah. with this old Masonic temple in mm-hmm. Cleveland. If you could tell tell our listeners about that a little bit, because that that actually sounds really cool and is is another great way of colliding real estate with tech and innovation and community, right? Yeah. So, um, there's a, there's a Masonic temple in, in one of the, probably the, one of the trendiest parts of town, Ohio city that has been kind of just kind of left alone. The roof started caving in, looters came in, started stealing a bunch of stuff. And, uh, a buddy of mine that I know that, that is, is entrepreneurial and has like big into rock climbing and stuff came to me and said, Hey, I'd like to buy this thing and renovate it, turn it into a big rock climbing gym. And at the same time, like an entrepreneur, uh, again, collaborative workspace, you know, rent out either desk space or many offices to these different entrepreneurs and also have like a healthy living type feel between the rock climbing wall and a yoga studio. And I think they got a grant for a uh, like a professional kitchen to kind of help out up and coming uh, chefs and stuff in the area. And it was just a really cool type of concept to take an old historic building, clean it all up give it this rejuvenated um, and breathe some life into it, right? Yeah. And so the community was all about it. I just came in from an investor. It's not my brainchild by any means. And now I offer a little bit of insight and uh, we'll do some events. It's still in construction phase, so it's not live yet, but it should be live this fall. And um, it's an awesome, it's an awesome space. So they took the roof, which was already caving in. They just kind of blew it out, put this glass encasement above it. So So the rock climbs up the rock wall. Yeah, Yeah. actually goes out of the roof. It's all glass encased, so it's going to be awesome. That was in the old meeting room, but they kept all the historical significance around the outside of, of the meeting room and around the uh, perimeter of it. And then a lot of the other like halls and offices and stuff have been turned into like these micro offices for other entrepreneurs. So again, it's, it's like you're saying, we're taking technology, we're taking community and colliding it with entrepreneurship and creating just really cool, innovative spaces that are in high demand, yeah. cool places where people want to hang out. Um, and, you know, I don't have a ton of projects like that. I'm working on another one um, kind of in early, early stages with uh, the metro parks on one of the metro parks and taking an old dilapidated property, fixing it all up and creating, again, another kind of community feel with a wine store and, and coffee shop and, you know, craft beers and, and uh, some dog walking and like just uh, art for the kids and all that kind of stuff where we're now public meets private. We work interchangeably together, yeah. and it benefits everybody. Um, so we're working on some cool stuff, cool other strategies like that, um, and those are those are really really fun. Now they're they're hard to scale because they're all very customized. Yeah. Um, but it's a good legacy piece. It's a good. Um, you feel good. You know, it, it gets you connected politically, right? Yeah. A lot of times because the the political side of things, they want to see these these types of improvements done. Um, and it op- op- opens up some doors for other opportunities too. But if you come from a place where you're just creating value, um, I know I know a lot of times you're chasing dollars initially, and that's what I did when I first got started. I chased dollars, and when I 
when I kind of shifted my business model and started creating more value, dollars are they come after you know it's it's, it's yeah. a, I wouldn't say it, it's a it's not a consequence but it's a um, it's a result of creating value right so you don't go to try to create dollars you go to try to create value and then the community and and um, uh, the marketplace return that value by generating dollars for whatever that investment piece is. And what you're touching on is two really big trends that I think I think you've found and kind of captured here in Northeast Ohio that have been happening kind of globally, really, in the real estate industry. And one is the, the whole uh, concept of mixed-use property. So having mm-hmm. a first-floor retail or having that wine bar associated with an apartment complex mm-hmm. and a place where people can live, work, and play mm-hmm. all within one location is huge. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what it sounds like is where some of these deals are, are spurring and going into. Um, and then the other piece is this, this shared workspace. Uh, the, the WeWorks that mm-hmm. are just buying old office buildings and renovating you're finding a really cool way of finding old historical buildings, dilapidated buildings, um, places that have had so much historical prominence in Northeast Ohio and finding ways to to revitalize them so that they get that that traffic that they haven't had for decades, right? Yep. Yeah, and we uh, we just bought another 35-unit office building in Berea, less than than a mile away from like Baldwin-Wallace University, and the building's been sitting at 30% occupancy for the past... 15 years, right? And yeah. the, the owner is an old timer, owned it. He's probably 82, 83 years old now, owned it for a long time. And, you know, he's like, it's probably oh. the same residence too. Yeah. And, and, and he's like, I can't lease it out ever since 9 11. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, that that's why you're saying that you can't lease this yeah. place? Like, absolutely not. So we came in, we just revitalized the building, right? Yeah. So he had old carpet, old finishes. We come in, we update everything, we make it a cool place, a trendy place. We offer it to some other, you know, up and coming entrepreneurs, different sizes of office space. Um, I found that, you know, a lot of office owners, they're looking for like these big buildings where they can rent out 25,000 square feet at a time. Uh, I've found a niche where I'm finding small businesses. uh, They're looking for their first office or their second office. They're expanding their business and they're looking for... 500 square feet up to 2,500 square feet. And that's like a really, um, it's a really cool space to be in because it's, everybody's in growth mode, right? So everybody's like sharing resources, everybody's collaborating, everybody's sharing ideas. Um, They're all in the same kind of phase in their business where they're growing, they have access to capital or a little bit more access to capital. And um, they're going through some of these phases where uh, there are you know, some hurdles on the human resources side. I have a lot of resources that I can share with them that then are going to help their business, which means they're going to stay there longer and we're able to provide additional value um, in some of those, those efforts. So it's a cool way of just hanging out with cool people yeah. also and knowing cool movers and shakers in the community who are looking to make a difference, looking to make an impact and, um, and, and doing so in a really, really cool way. So yeah, it's, it's um, again, all value driven, helping other people out and, and, you know, people say you reap what you sow. I think you reap much more than what you sow. I think, you know, if you if you go out and you plant those seeds, it's amazing the way that that all of it comes back and and uh, that whole law of attraction type thing and the, uh, how the universe responds to you just putting value out in the marketplace. So, um, as as kind of goofy and and off the wall as that sounds, yeah, I'm telling you, man, it's a it's a universal law. It comes back in a big way. That's awesome. So. 
when I know some of these projects, they come to you as an investor, but then some of these other ones, you've kind of proactively found some mm-hmm. of these apartments. What What's the criteria for you in a property that you think can be revitalized or turned around? What What is it? Are there certain things that you see in some of these dilapidated properties that lets you know that there's there's something there that can be done versus you know because they can't all be winners right right. some of these you kind of have to turn away or you have to say there's no way this this isn't going to work yeah so so as as you know as philanthropic as i'd like to sound on your podcast like i don't go into war zones right i'm not i'm not going to go in and be the guy who tries to turn unless i can you know if i had a a hundred million dollars i would probably go and look at uh you know five blocks on either side, east and west, of like Rockefeller Park, right mm-hmm. over by University of Chicago, and try to buy everything, right? Yeah. If I had 100 million, 150, 200 million dollars, I'd go try to buy everything and redevelop all of it, and because I, I think that's going to be a really, really good corridor. Uh, but you can't do that if you're going and you know playing with five million bucks or ten million bucks even. So um, I have access to some money, but doing the single family side is really, really difficult to scale. Um, so we pretty much just focus on apartment buildings. Uh, we're looking for apartment buildings, usually in A and B class working force areas, you mm-hmm. know, like like working class kind of areas. So I don't get into luxury stuff. <clears throat> I think when the market's good, everybody can afford A and B class workforce housing. I think when the market shifts, all those luxury renters move into more of a, of a B class or yeah. A class workforce housing. So my, my average rent on my apartments is usually... I'd say seven hundred to maybe like twelve hundred dollars. Okay, that doesn't get hit when a market cycle or a market shift occurs, right? And I think we're at the peak of a market cycle right yeah. now. I think it's only going to go in one direction, which I don't think it's going to crumble like it did ten years ago. But I think it's definitely going to cool off. Yeah, but that's good for active investors um, because it, it creates opportunity for us to go and buy. It creates. Uh, a more realistic expectation in sellers' minds where they're not trying to ask these exorbitant prices for their apartment buildings or for their properties. Uh, it kind of cleans out some of the the newbie investors who are trying to test this out and they kind of screw up the pricing for the rest yeah. of us because they don't know how to buy right. They're, they're overpaying. So anyways, we, we stay in that, that A and B class workforce housing. Now I'm at a point, uh, if it's not in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, Cleveland, I have my own management company where we only manage our own in-house stuff. Uh, we'll buy anything that's essentially five units or more, right? Yeah. Um, if it's in a good location. So I own some stuff in like downtown Brecksville. I own one of the historic buildings in downtown Brecksville. We renovated that, just cleaned it all up. And uh, it's got office on the ground floor with apartments above it. So I love that, but it's only 11 units. Mm-hmm. But I'll buy it. My office building that we're sitting in right now is only nine units. But it's an awesome building. It's, again, a legacy-type building. It's a yeah. historic building. And it holds its value really, really well. So on things like that, I'll buy smaller stuff. If it's outside of Cleveland, Ohio, it's usually 80 units or bigger. Uh, probably average right around 100, 120 units per building. Um, and that's because of the scalability. Now I can have on-site property manager, on-site leasing agent, on-site maintenance. Sure. So again, it offers a little bit more um, uh, everything in one spot versus having to staff a lot of that stuff out and have part-time people. And uh, that's a little bit more difficult to do. So um, yeah, we're looking for value-add apartment buildings or mixed-use buildings where we can come in, buy it, stabilize it, renovate it. Very similar to what a lot of investors do on the single family side where they have to be all into a house that they're flipping for maybe 65 cents on the dollar. Mm-hmm. I need to be all into one of my apartment buildings for 65 cents on the dollar. The only difference is you're adding a few more zeros. So instead of a $100,000 house you're all into for 65 grand, yeah. I'm buying a $10 million building that I'm all into for six and a half million. 
and then I, I, I renovate it, stabilize it, refinance it with a 75% loan to value loan, cash out my investors, cash out my short-term loan. I put long-term non-recourse debt in place yep. and then I let it cash flow for the next 10 years and I'll let future Tim make a decision on what we do with it 10 years from now. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so um, what what's some advice that you might have for that that newbie investor Mm-mm. who is who is looking at, at doing this and irrespective of, of where the market might go sure. you know in the, in the next probably 18 months or so what what's some advice that you kind of give to these people who are coming through and hoping to do do what you're doing yeah I, I think there's there's two things that I would say um, are the most two most important things that you can do one is uh, get educated um, Probably through some courses or seminars or whatever, learn about whatever the, the the type of asset you want to like. Just you can't learn enough, right? Keep, but don't let it at the same time uh, paralyze you from going out and doing the work, right? But you got to get educated, and then once you're educated, find a mentor who's the best in that space, or um, or join a mastermind group that focuses on that and stick with it. Like you're gonna pay for education one way or another. Me, I did it the hard way, man. I, I got kicked in the teeth over and over and over again by trying to fail for, by, by just trying to figure it out, but I kept on failing forward. I lost time, I lost money, but I learned my lesson, right? That's one way of doing it. The other way is just pay for the education, partner up with somebody who knows what they're doing, join a mastermind, and when you're sitting in a group of other entrepreneurs who do what you do, and you're saying, hey, here's the ceiling that I'm facing, here's the hurdle that I'm facing, there's going to be somebody else, the collective brain power in that group is going to say, hey, man, here's exactly what I did when I faced that just a year and a half ago. Man, it, it excelled my growth in a big way. It was unbelievable. Or here's something I did that I wish I didn't do, so don't make the same mistake I did. And you're able to uh, really uh, uh, fast track your success by, by leaning on other people. And, and the important thing is have that continual support network too because just because you got through this glass ceiling right now or got past this hurdle and you got to the next level, guess what? There's another level of problems at the next level. So it's important to have that support network and and reflect and and meet with those people on at least a quarterly basis to get their feedback on that. So um, there's a lot of different mastermind type groups out there where you can find in in residential real estate, commercial real estate, um, all sorts of different real estate and um, or create your own, right? You can just go and create your own, find five, 10 p- different people who are doing things on a regular basis, or doing things on a big level or, um, you know, but, but on the same trajectory that you're going on. So one, number one is I would get educated. Yeah. The second thing is I would get really good at, at these two skill sets. Cause it, as you uh, talked about, Nick, it doesn't matter, you know, what the economy's doing. If you can get good at these two things, you can have success in real estate regardless of the economy being up or down. One is finding deals. If you can find deals, off-market deals, direct-to-seller deals, um, that's a major, major piece of the of the puzzle. And number two is finding money. And so if you can find deals and you can find money to take those deals down, then you can have success in any real estate market. Like right now, it's very easy to find money, very hard to find deals. Yeah. Five years ago, very easy to find deals, very hard to find money. So those two things are always going to shift. If you're always working on refining your skills in both of those, then you will have success regardless of what's going on with the economy. You'll be able to find deals. You'll be able to find money. You'll be able to take them down. When the market does cool off, you're going to be able to buy things at a deeper discount. right? If you're 
if you're educating your private money lenders today that the market's going to shift, they're going to be prepared for when the market does shift. And when that occurs, you're going to look like Nostradamus because you called it out. Yeah, yeah. But guess what? It's all cyclical. This stuff happens every, every 10, 15 years, right? So actually, I think it's like every seven years on average, mm -hmm. we go through a market cycle. Um, so it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time and when it happens. But I'm planting those seeds and laying the foundation with my private money lenders today who, who want to go and de deploy money so that way when the, the newspaper articles come out and when the headlines read run away from real estate, they already know that, no, that's the time to buy because exactly. we're going to go on a buying spree when the market shifts because we're going to be able to buy things at even a deeper discount and we're able to do it right now. Uh, and we, maybe we won't have to force the, the appreciation as much as we do right now because we do some pretty heavy value adds in order to be all in at 65 cents on the dollar. Sometimes you got to be willing to take the crap that nobody else wants because it's too much work and, and we're able to make that happen. So, um, you know, it, when the market shifts, I think you'd be able to find some more stuff that's maybe a little bit more turnkey, a little bit more stabilized yeah. where you don't have to do as heavy of a value add, uh, a little bit lighter of a lift. And at that time, you know, it, it, that it's just buying, right? Now you're just finding motivated sellers. They're going to be all over the place. Uh, but you got to lay the foundation to make sure you have access to the capital today. Great. Well, thank you, Tim. Outside of Brat's Manor, where can people find you online? Find some information about you. I know you do some coaching as well. Yeah. Where's well, all that information at? No, I appreciate that. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm active on social media, mostly on Facebook. Okay. So come connect with me on Facebook. If you got a question, you want to connect, you want to. Um, I mean, we, and we joint venture with a lot of different operators. Uh, sometimes there's people who need money for their transaction. We, we have access to a lot of capital. We can bring it for a different apartment building type deal if it fits our, our box. At the same time, there's other people who have money that they're looking to deploy into deals. They don't know who good operators are or how to underwrite these deals. We kind of help with that aspect as well. Um, so for passive investors who are looking to deploy some cash, mm -hmm. like I, I, I put out a lot of free content out there. And then if somebody's any, if anybody's looking for more of like a formal education on uh, like how to buy apartments specifically, yeah. I don't really do uh, newbie stuff. It's just more of like a 200, 300 type level real yeah. estate investing um, is how to, how to scale from residential real estate into apartment buildings. I have an event called Commercial Empire, uh, commercialempire.com, where you can learn a little bit more about you know how we find off-market apartment building deals, how we underwrite those deals pretty quickly, how we structure and raise private money for those deals, how we oversee the value-add improvements to harden the property and make sure you don't have a mass exodus of tenants, and then um, and then going into like the uh, the refinance stage and how what you do uh, from there to let it cash flow and build long-term wealth. So we do, uh, we do all those kinds of things. And, um, but yeah, man, we, we pretty much just stay in our box of buying apartment buildings, buying mixed use buildings. And, uh, we do it all over the country and, uh, we've got pretty good operations only because we've been kicked in the teeth so many times. You know? <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's one way of doing it. Um, but it's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. I have a phenomenal team and, uh, yeah, if anybody's in Northeast Ohio, we, uh, we get together once in a while and just kind of do some meetup events and just kind of hang out and, and uh, connect. So, uh, yeah, man, this has been awesome. Well, I, I appreciate you having me on the yeah, show. Thank you so much. Keep doing big things in the uh, the CLE region, man. Yeah, man. I, I love it. Love Cleveland. I'll always have a home here and I'll always uh, have a soft spot in my heart. And um, I love what I love all the reju rejuvenation and, and all the revitalization that's going on in Cleveland area. I think it's an amazing location. 
the summers and the falls are incredible. There's some cool stuff to do here in the wintertime too. And the food scene's unbelievable, the sports scene. So I think Cleveland's got a lot of good stuff. And it's going to... Um, it's going to be a comeback king real yeah. soon here. As, as uh, comedian Bill Burr says, you know Cleveland's on the upswing when they have a cupcake shop downtown. Yeah, that's it, you know, man. That's it. The whole, Trendy. whole city's moving up. So yeah. thank you, Tim, so much. And uh, that'll do it for us here on Building Success. And until next time, we will catch you all later.